This is TV Podcast Industries, all about the boys, season one, episode five, good for the soul. to just suck it up and do this for you? Hmm? You have no idea what you're really asking. You have no idea what I've been through. Every single word that I say up here, I'm reading from a script. I didn't write any of these words. I don't even know if I believe in them. I believe in God. I love God so much, but... Honestly, it's it's just how goddamn certain everyone is around here. Welcome back, boys and girls, to, yes, episode five of The Boys, entitled Good for the Soul, and just like ourselves, we feed your podcasting soul. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. Yes, praise the Lord. All three are here uh, to talk about the boys, where we go to the Believe Expo mm. and decide whether we want to believe or not uh, in this corporate version of uh, religion. But yes, it's really uh, starting to pace up to see where Compound V comes from mm-hmm. and exactly what they're doing with it. So really good stuff. And uh, remember, uh, boys and girls, to pop on over to our website, tvpodcastindustries.com, to leave any feedback. You can leave a voicemail. Just go to the right-hand side uh, tab and leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts to f- provide feedback on any of the episodes so far. There's also our email channel, feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Industries.com, and of course, head on over to the website to subscribe on any super or less super podcast catcher mm-hmm. of your choice. Yes, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, as well as many, many more. Mm-hmm. And you can also join us over on Facebook. We have now got our Facebook group back up and running. Uh, it is now over at facebook.com slash groups slash TV podcast industries. You can join us over there as well to talk about anything to do with the boys or any of the other TV shows that we used to cover or any of the TV shows we're covering like right now, like Pennyworth or any of the Marvel Netflix shows that we've covered in the past. Come over there to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV podcast industries. Yes. Uh, on with our spoiler-filled review. Derek, what are some of the episode details? Well, the episode was written by Anne Kofel Saunders, another great writer on this show. She's written tons of episodes of great TV shows, including about seven or eight episodes of Battlestar Galactica, where she was a story editor for over 20 episodes of the show. Wow. Uh, she also wrote on Smallville, uh, another person from Smallville cool. who has some, you know, interesting ideas about, uh, about the Superman character, I suppose. Um, also wrote on Chuck and 24 as well. So some great pedigree there. I suppose on Smallville, you really know how to mess with Superman. Basically, yeah. Just You can talk anything about the character of, of Clark Kent, but you can't talk about Superman at all. So maybe that's what they've taken into this. <laughs> I loved her work on Chuck. Chuck is still one of my favorite series to mm. date. Um, it's just amazing. So uh, definitely when I, when I saw 
the in the notes that you put down she was in Chuck. I was like, oh my God, she actually wrote some of my favorite episodes of that. There you go. There yeah, you go. It was, it was great to see. Good stuff. And the episode itself was directed by Stefan Schwartz, uh, a director from London. He's been working since the 90s, but more recently he's worked on some of the biggest American TV shows. So a really good get for the boys to get him over onto this show. Uh, he did about three or four episodes of season three of Walking Dead. So one of the best seasons of Walking Dead, in my opinion. Uh, did some episodes of Dexter and also did some of the best episodes of Fear the Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead is a show that had a terrible first season and built up to a great third season and unfortunately has gone kind of trash in its fourth season now. Uh, but he did some of the really good episodes back in the third season so really good uh, mark to move on at that point once you've once you've hit a high note in a, in a season of a show move on go to another show like the boys i think it's a good good choice <laughs> <laughs> welcome aboard stefan hopefully we'll see you back for season two of the boys which if you guys didn't see eric kripke's twitter this week has already started filming they've already wow. sent out the first photo from uh, from behind the scenes that's amazing yeah of the cast on set of season two of the boys and we're on episode five of season one <laughs> So that could be quite a quick turnaround. Yeah, it's definitely out in 2020. Already confirmed. So um, we'll be seeing it really soon. Good stuff. Nice. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. Somewhere in Havana, Cuba, A-Train begins to tie off loose ends at the orders of Homelander as he kills Popclaw with a heroin overdose faster than a speeding bullet. Back in the States, as Frenchie nurses the female, little does he know that A-Train has found surveillance footage of him at Popclaw's. Meanwhile, Mother's Milk, Billy Butcher and Huey Campbell follow up on a new lead in their investigation and head over to the Believe Expo. While Homelander rallies the crowd at the Expo going off script to promote Vought's agenda, Starlight struggles with her contradictions as she is asked to portray a fake sanitized version of herself at Believe. Huey also uses Starlight to get an exclusive audience with Ezekiel to be rebaptized. I mean to blackmail him. Despite the complication of Homelander, Huey finds he excels at bribery as he obtains more information on Vought's secret compound V. Butcher and Mother's Milk follow up on the new intel at a local hospital and discover laser beam babies <laughs> created by compound V. Back in New York, Frenchie releases the female as he realizes he's been compromised. As A-Train, helped by Black Noir, step up their efforts to find Frenchie and bring in the female. Confronted by Black Noir in an alleyway, Frenchie is protected by the female who dies to save him, only to reveal the full extent of her special abilities. Hmm. An interesting episode to have um, someone coming back from the dead. Yes, it is quite interesting. <laughs> Literally, resurrection. Mm-hmm. She just needed to be bathed in light, I think. And, mm-hmm. Or maybe the glow of the alley lamplights uh, <laughs> was enough here. Absolutely. But uh, certainly, yes, uh, we will be moving through our spoiler-filled review of this episode, uh, looking at the boys, the seven, and any other outstanding moments. We go through the protagonist's antagonist moments, uh, as well as any other outstanding moments. So I think first off, onto the boys. Chris, what is one of your protagonist moments of the episode? Sure. Um, for me, this is the big reveal about Compound V. Mm-hmm. Um, and more importantly, that it gives you some amazingly beautiful baby blue eyes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we get, uh, throughout the episode, they basically, through the, the MacGuffin and the, 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 the plot, we find out that Compound V is being delivered to Nick Hughes around the country. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so we have MM and, uh, Butcher head down to the local hospital, heads into the NICU where they find essentially babies, newborn babies, uh, test tube babies, as I said, made in a lab, uh, that are hooked up to compound V. And we get this amazing scene where the baby burps and just shoots blue lasers <laughs> out of its eyes Absolutely. into a, a sealed, a container. Uh, little did they know, MM and uh, Butcher had set off the alarm that basically had called in the armed security. Um, but this is for me, well, beyond the, the using of, I love Butcher just using the baby as a weapon. Just basically like almost, and there's a point where he cuts a guy and one of the guards in half and he's about to shoot the other guard with the baby's eyes and the baby closes its eyes and he kind of does the, oh, come on, come on. <laughs> like if I shake it a tiny bit, it will just wake up and then it wakes up and it just shoots the other guy. It was just, it's such a creative use of that. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really, really good. It's one of my uh, outstanding moments. Um, I, I think you go, so much into so many different ways to describe this. I had baby blasters. Um, <laughs> Billy Butcher uses the enfant terrible, nice, uh, just to get the little Frenchy in there, just to get a little Frenchy in there. But certainly, yeah, this was really good. It reminded me of the baby from Incredibles as well. Oh yes, yeah, like uh, to, to some extent, yeah, <laughs> Jack Jack. Yeah, it was uh, it was really nicely done, I think. Um, and yeah, those kind of. ICU units certainly must be made out of some, like, I don't know, something really good because the beams don't seem to be able to penetrate them. I think, yeah, I like that, that you pointed out, Chris, there, that effectively we, we learn in this episode the babies are created in these units. So they clearly have these units built so that they protect the entire area from a baby that could be, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and exploding the walls of the place off, you know. <laughs> um, I also love that this scene ends with Billy Butcher putting the baby back into its cot and saying, thanks very much for that. If you, you better keep your nose clean or I'll be back here to stomp you, basically. So, yeah. You know, it, it kind of tells you that he's still will never trust a soup, but if he's able to use a soup on his side, absolutely grand, you know? But, um, but yeah, like he's, he's pretty violent about the kids, you know, the, you hear, uh, early on where he's having a conversation with, uh, with mother's milk, he's kind of going, I don't really care about these kids in this room, you know, they can, they can die for whatever, what, what I care, don't care about the bullets flying all around them. He's going to use the baby that's in there. And if any of them die, who cares really? That's not, that's not what he's about. He doesn't see them as children. He sees them as soup. <laughs> I like the way he also says, that was diabolical. Uh, <laughs> sort of blaming the baby for him using the power to yeah. kill people. Yeah. Like, he is he, he's the one that's diabolical there, even though I think he is referring to, to baby blue eyes. But, uh, yeah, no, I like this because as well, you know, as you were saying, Chris, um, there's that kind of line where, um, Billy Butcher goes, chosen by God, my ass, built in a lab more like, but mm -hmm. actually, in a sense, still creation. His <laughs> creation. Uh, by man of supers or yeah. by Vought International of supers. It, it's not as such, you know, divine inspiration well, that yeah. is giving them, um, or divine creation that is giving them, uh, these superpowers, even though at the Believe Expo, that's exactly how it's, it's being portrayed here that these, um, supers are born with these gifts so it, and it, it chosen is really by God nice. to protect the world. Yeah. We'll talk about that a lot more, exactly. I'm sure, throughout this episode. Yeah. But that, that's the, the, I, I feel like the, it's underplayed just because of the line. So I'm hoping it, it's brought up more. Oh yeah. In the next couple of, in the next episode. Yeah. But like, this is a big revelation. Yeah. 
which is just kind of passed as a kind of couple of pass away lines. Oh no, I'm and sure this is going to be a big my, one. My yeah. protagonist's reason. It's just yeah. like, oh my god, the the reason Compound V is what it is, aside from being a kind of a, a bit like heroin and getting used to getting that extra kick and being that uh, booster, if you will, the steroids. Mm-hmm. It's also being used to build superheroes. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting to find out a lot more about that. I'd say we're gonna gonna see a lot more as the ep- episodes go on. Um, yeah, because I mean, it, it's not it, it is that huge revelation. I, I certainly uh, get your point, Chris. That it seems really underplayed in this. It's kind of like it's found, and um, and then the baby's used to help. You know, sort of defend both Billy and, and Mother's Milk. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping they really explore more on this. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Um, John, what's your uh boys moment well it's kind of leads into why they end up in the hospital with baby blue eyes and that's uh huey's a natural we little huey believe it or not um is a born natural he excels at blackmail he Hmm. excels at killing people and he excels in a whole surveillance undercover surveillance huey is a born natural and yeah and he plays ezekiel like a jazz instrument mm-hmm. and certainly he is willing to improvise i, I really like this moment I, I thought um uh you know you have mother's milk just kind of in awe of the fact that most of the things they've put huey to he has come out smelling of roses well yeah um and and it's been really kind of interesting and i like that before this you have mother's milk going well this is blackmail it's not that easy even though Billy Butcher kind of thinks that it is, and he goes, "Well, you've killed someone, so this is going to be a piece of cake." Um, and and yet, Mother's Milk is, "Well, he needs to be trained. He needs, yeah. you know, this, that, and the other." And Huey's kind of bricking it, going in to see Ezekiel to in order to blackmail him. So I, I think this was really, really good, to be honest. And I, I like how it all plays out in uh, in, in this kind of private audience where. Uh, select members of, uh, the Believe Expo have paid, what is it, 10 grand VIP tickets in order to get into this sort of baptism event, uh, done by Homelander. Yeah, f- um, it's 15 grand. You can kind of see <laughs> yeah. why Homelander has such a big problem with Huey being allowed back here. You know, he has that moment and recognizes him immediately when he gets in. So clearly, yeah. Annie asked Homelander for this 15 grand ticket to be given to her for free. And he's kind of going, Oh, who's this Huey guy? You know, like he seems to have, we'll talk about a little bit later on as well, but he seems to have this really protective nature about everybody in the seven. He seems to be totally their leader and wants to be in control of everything going on. So the idea that this brand new member of their team has just come to them and said, give my mate who I only met a couple of weeks ago a free ticket to this VIP event, uh, doesn't go down very well with Homelander. You know, that you'll see a couple of bits in that, in that, scene that he's really pushing it uh, well, yeah it's a it's a bit like in the last episode where a train you know comes across very threatening to to Popclaw and just because these people are kind of slightly unstable you know that that they've they're borderline psychos mm-hmm. in some respects and you're kind of like going at any moment anyone could be at the wrong end of this super and oh, yeah. there is that moment with this baptism where 
Huey or Huey's elevated heartbeat because of what he's about to do with the bribery mm-hmm. um, is kind of spotted by, by Homelander, the elevated heartbeat. And he just goes, I don't like water. As then Homelander kind of keeps him for, you know, that uncomfortably long amount of time underwater yeah. looking down at him. It's the menace that these supers for, of the seven give. And I, I must say, I think it's really good because it brings these scenes these moments in an episode where you're just not entirely sure which way it's going to go and mm-hmm. i i think that's really really good how that seems to have been worked uh, into a number of these episodes now and i really like it because i think it keeps you guessing you're right i love that it's followed up with effectively huey after being under that water for those those extra 20 seconds you see him taking out the phone that he's going to use for the blackmail on ezekiel and it's like oh my phone no longer works and <laughs> you see water dripping out of it in front of ezekiel and, and you, you kind of wonder what's going through this guy's head. He thinks that Huey's about to ask him, you know, for Christ's help effectively uh, in some something that he's going through and not being able to deal with. And actually, it turns out he was about to show him a video of uh, th- that had been captured by Billy Butcher. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose Huey here then really has to improvise uh, in order to get more information mm-hmm. uh, of compound v where it's come from where it's going what it's being used for and, yeah. and which ultimately leads to the baby blue eyes moment yeah 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 absolutely i just love the f- I, part of me screamed when huey takes his phone out why? i'm like come on it's like you knew you're about to get baptized why would you not just take you you feel your phone in your pocket <laughs> you're slowly walking into the water would you not go oh there's my phone hold on would you mind just holding this while i get baptized please thank you i think everybody everybody's a little bit terrified in, the, in that scene because i don't think anybody actually knows that that's what they were paying for that 15 grand because it's like you're wondering whether it's worth it you know there's like there's about six people in the room because it's 15 grand it's a lot of money <laughs> but there's about six or seven people in the room and it's like have they gotten some hors d'oeuvres and a glass of orange juice for 15 grand and to stand close to the superheroes basically <laughs> that doesn't seem to be very worth it and then suddenly they're all told actually you're going to get baptized here you know and you see the blood drain from Huey's face going to go and well oh I've said I'm a lapsed uh, Christian and now they're going to rebaptize me that might be a little fire you know uh, am I willing to do this just before I blackmail this guy. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sure, like, there are people out there who will pay for anything. Absolutely. But my protagonist moment is also about Huey. It's kind of the reveal to Annie at the end of the episode, really, about uh, who he is. He kind of really reveals some of the truth. You know, I was quite shocked at how close he got to what was actually going on. Uh, after Annie makes that speech on stage where she finally really finds out what this whole group is about you know i would think this episode is probably quite controversial in and of itself you know dealing with this idea of uh, politicizing this christian group and and her realization that she has effectively stoked the flames for this group throughout her time you know we have that early conversation with huey where she says that uh, she knows everybody here because that was her whole life was getting in a van and traveling around with this group over and over again for years um and then as she goes through her day she realizes actually this group is anti-homosexual it's anti any other religion which she's not she's asked that question uh, about should you tell your friend to turn to god to turn to jesus and turn to christianity she says no God says live and let live, yet the priest says no, you should see it as an opportunity to convert them and have them saved. Um, so she starts really falling away from this religious group on stage in front of everybody and calls out her big problem really is that everybody's telling you pay them money 
they're confident about the fact that they know how to get you into heaven. And she says, this is my problem. I don't understand the confidence in this group. And finally, Huey has a bit of a breakthrough. Um, he finally reveals to her the reason why he's been friends with her is because, well, his girlfriend got killed recently. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that scene worked really well for me because he doesn't tell her that he's been, uh, he's been involved with the boys. He doesn't tell her that they've bugged her phone so they can listen to all the conversations, but he does tell her enough of the truth to kind of, get her back on side again you know he says to her that i thought coming here today would be a way for me to relieve some of the uh horrible feelings i've been going through because of my my girlfriend dying but i realize actually everything that everybody else said here makes no sense at all what you've said that is none of us really know the truth none of us really know exactly what's going to happen in the future that actually gives me some solace and i think that's a really good scene between the two of them i i loved this scene because the part of me did feel that maybe they were not going to kind of bring these two together mm. um, throughout this season um, because of the, the wedge that immediately forms when Huey asks for the, the Diamond VIP members um, introduction. Yeah. Or, uh, and straight away you can see it on Annie's face. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do. They, they're slowly bringing it back. And you're right. It's because he brings it so close to the truth mm-hmm. that the two of them are able to kind of bridge some form of gap uh, that had formed it throughout the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, 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 I was amazingly happy. Um, Annie's speech uh, alone—it's an amazing turn for the character, mm-hmm. uh, as you said. So, like Annie throughout the episode kind of is getting more and more frustrated. Mm -hmm. So just seeing her give that speech, run away, and then Huey, the only one clapping, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's just, it's nice to see that potentially these two will end up together, even with Robin's ghost haunting him. Pushing Huey along, yeah, yeah. It is really interesting, isn't it? Like, you know, I like that she calls out as well. I know this point is actually more about Huey, but I do like that Annie calls out to her mom. She's not sure whether things have just changed or whether she's changed as a person since she used to come to the, these events. Like, she sees that poster with Homelander on it going, uh, having impure thoughts fly straight. And she goes, oh God, has yeah. this always been here? And her mom goes, yeah, it has. Of course it has. But you can tell that Annie totally doesn't believe that side of things. You know, this idea, as she stands on stage and goes, hold on a second, so this idea that all these people are pushing into your heads, if you're gay or if you're Gandhi, you burn in hell. Well, I don't believe that, you know? And I think that's a really good good point from from Annie in this, in this episode, seeing how much she may have changed since she used to see this stuff all the time. Well, I, I think the other great thing about this is, I mean, on, on one respect, it's, it's that Annie uh, or Starlight and Huey have both got the same kind of thing going on is that, that they're dealing, Huey's dealing with the death of Robin, mm-hmm. Annie's dealing effectively with not fitting into this thing that she's always wanted to be a part yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, seeing that actually on the other side of it, it, it it's, it's something very different than what she uh, revealed. But I also like the fact that ultimately this Huey reveal, uh, to to Starlight about the death of Robin um, comes from the fact that Starlight is the one that is being honest with herself in front of this massive crowd, mm-hmm. um, more so than Huey. And, and actually that that moment where 
he kind of afterwards goes up to thank her and she kind of takes offense to him saying, what, do you want a cup, uh, a novelty cup, mm-hmm. a novelty key ring kind of thing? And that, you know, she feels like she is being used by by Huey, which actually she is, but for different reasons. Yeah. And in, in a sense, he doesn't fully reveal to her those reasons, but he at least gives her the basis so that probably in the future she may understand why it is that he has been using it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a really interesting predicament here because actually the person you're rooting for, Huey, is probably less open about his mo- uh, his motives um and, and that he's actually using her than she is uh, um in, in reverse you yeah. know so it, it's kind of changed the dynamic here of Huey and I really like that kind of mix up that's that's happened here in this scene uh that that happens um for sure mm-hmm I also think that her mom is a nightmare because <laughs> it is that thing of well I've you know taking you in the car on journeys to this that and the other therefore yeah. do this because of me and I'm like what being a parent just like drop it but like, all of my friends will be watching you yeah, on TV yeah. just do it for me anybody getting flashbacks to Dorothy Walker in uh, in season 2 and 3 it's of a Jessica little Jones bit like that, absolutely. a little bit like that yeah um, interesting stuff that's all of our par- protagonist moments for this episode I think um, Chris do you want to take us off with your antagonist moment the seven moment for this episode first one for me is a bit of a weird one um Mm-hmm. Stillwell plays Mummy with Homelander. <laughs> yeah, this is the best. I did not know where this scene was going. Mm-hmm. It just made me squirm on so many levels. And I know exactly what they were trying to do. That's exactly how it played. Mm-hmm. Um, I, throughout <laughs> this episode, we, we thought, so Homelander is getting quite jealous of Stillwell. Being the mother still well ha- with her child, mm. we get that scene in the car park mm-hmm. where essentially he's he's still well taking a day off to go to see the pediatrician, and Homelander throws a hissy fit. Yep, um, almost like a spoiled child. Later on, we get basically still well in her office. Mm-hmm. We see she actually now has installed. Or she had already previously installed some form of camera with an proximity alert. So when Homelander was there, uh, staring through using his x-ray vision. So I'm confused of whether this is a new addition or an old or something she's always known about. She says you've been doing that quite a lot recently. Are you scared of me? Why don't you come in? So I think it's been there all the time. I think he's just hasn't been aware of it. And then it's essentially she plays mommy. I didn't know. I thought this was going to be more sexualized. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. I thought it was where she, the two of them would potentially hook up. Mm. Um, yeah. And then it flips very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how I feel about that. I know. Uh, it, I, it, I, I think the way I've written it into my notes is just that she cradles him like a child in her lap and tells him he has to be a good boy for for everybody i think john you came up with something in here because of the of the yeah. children being created as soups from the compound v we were questioning so i was wondering Homelander. and because i, I agree it, it ended off not being as sexualized as i thought it was going to be um, and it, it took me back to little britain and also a bit game of thrones i, I thought there was going to be a bit of milking kind mm. of uh, and and bissy thing going on so and that didn't happen. Um, and I was just wondering, and again, I might be way off the mark, but, um, 
is Homelander Stillwell's son? Um, mm. Because we've seen that supers are are created um, by intravenously giving them Compound V at mm-hmm. an early stage, and her reaction is very motherly. And also, we have seen Homelander in the car park and before, where he seems to be really jealous of her newborn. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's that he, the newborn isn't going to be a super, um, so that she can have a son or, yeah. or a daughter, um, you know, instead of having to keep them at arm's length. I, I don't know. Um, but there was something here that felt like Homelander is, um, the child of, uh, Madeline Stillwell. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's the case. And I really hope to see, uh, exactly what this relationship is about because yeah, yeah it, it's, it seems like at the very least, uh, with what happened, it's massively complex. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm wondering myself as well. Similarly, even if it's not her son, I'm wondering if the creation of these kids with Compound V means they're actually very young, but they've been, they've aged a lot quicker than, other people do um is homelander really a 28 or 30 year old man or is he a five-year-old child that's aged really quickly and has superpowers and leads the seven you know um I'm, because he's he acts so childish i know that's also could be seen as just him being spoiled and being the leader of this organization but he seems like such a child at times a train seems like such a child at times the deep is an absolute child at times um the only one i think isn't really a child at times is Queen Maeve, and she has her own issues, which we'll talk about later on. But I do wonder in this episode, not only are they created by Compound V, but are they also aged up by Compound V as well? Is that why they feel more childlike? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bow out <laughs> of situations on this. Mm-hmm. Some, see, again, they seem to be changing from the, 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 the source material of the comic books, mm-hmm. but then they seem to be keeping parts of it as well. Of course, so yeah. I, I really don't know I, I could comment all day on this, um, but then I'm afraid I'll end up spoiling something in three or four episodes that are going to come. Yeah. So. Well, we definitely don't want we don't want the answers. We want to see the answers of the show, definitely. Without it, exactly. So, and I think worry. that's it. And I, it's fun to to understand. It just took a weird direction mm-hmm. for me, and I think that's the the bit where I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It it just I thought it was going left, and it just veered right right at the end. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, no, that's just, no. But anyway, so that was my uh, antagonist moment, just because of so weird it was. John, do you want to talk to us about your antagonist moment for this episode? Yeah, and it kind of comes from one of the comments where, you know, this this idea of a menace, a threat from the supers when they're with either other soups or even just regular humans. Um, You know, we see here A-Train ends Popclaw really... Um, very quickly, I suppose, oh, <laughs> with, yeah. with the, the four heroin needles, um, into her, into her veins. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just comes from last week where there was a moment where, you know, where A Train really is kind of understanding that she has said something and he, he knows it could only have come from her that, um, you know, the people that infiltrated into the, the, the Chinese supermarket and, and, uh, took the female uh, and broke her out could only have known about this and compound V mm-hmm. through Popclaw. Um, and here actually we have a, the culmination of that where um, 
he ends Popclaw. He kills her uh, and makes it look like um, uh, an overdose. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing about that is that it comes from the orders of of Homelander, seemingly, who, as we've already discussed, you know, has this very much this protective kind of feel over the seven, at least the concept. It's kind of like the office of the president. He, he has to maintain the integrity of the concept of the seven. Yeah. Um, and he knows everything, even to the point where he knows that A-Train is sort of getting high on compound V. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, A-Train's kind of taken aback by this. You know, it's the same with the deep. You you've even have this this menace, this threat from Homelander, both to A-Train and we've seen it previously with the Deep, um, really coming through here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I thought it was, in some ways, it made sense that this happened. I think the end of Popclaw by A-Train at the orders of Homelander really made sense, uh, given um, how much... Uh, compound V and the female could blow open Vault International and, uh, the seven, which is what Homelander is trying to protect as well as promote. And so, uh, I, I thought this was really, really nicely done. I, I think as well, what follows from all of this where he goes, you know, and make sure you clean up and, and find the missing, uh, Asian lady, mm-hmm. uh, you know, involving Trevor again from crime analytics, uh, and, but also Black Noir and A-Train as they kind of take over from him yeah. and kind of go uh, off books a bit from, in terms of the crime fighting. Um, and just to, just to see Black Noir, um, you know, we've seen him kind of walking around in in the, the Vault Tower, mm-hmm. um, but we, we get to really see uh, his kind of martial arts, his souped-up martial yeah, arts. Yeah, that's it. Uh, he's almost like a daredevil type of of person, you know, uh, but with blades mm-hmm. um, and uh, taking on the female uh, in in the alleyway, which I thought was nice. It was good to see Black Noir sort of become a part of this uh, as the tracking Frenchie and so on. So, yeah, th- this whole thing kind of just kicked off a massive part of this episode yeah. as well and, and links into the big reveal of um, seeing actually what Compound V should be used for, uh, which is to create superheroes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really interesting seeing Black Noir as well. Another one, another member of uh, this group that's willing to kill. Um, we hear Queen Maeve was also willing to kill someone given particular circumstances, but it feels like uh, Black Noir seemed about as violent as Homelander. Uh, no real question there. He was going to kill the female the minute he came across her. You know, I thought that was quite, quite an interesting side to him. We don't know much about him at all, but we can see, we can tell that he's probably closer to Homelander than some of the other people that feel like Homelander is pressuring them to do what he wants them to do, I suppose. Yeah, he's yeah. silent but deadly. Yeah, uh, I think. Absolutely. Uh, this was going to be one of my, one of my notes. Probably because in the last episode I said I didn't think that A Train was going to kill Popclaw. <laughs> so I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad you took that one, John. Um, no, it wasn't, it, it, I was as surprised, I suppose, uh, watching it the first time as Popclaw was because, because <laughs> I was kind of going, Oh, he is just looking for some information out of it. That's fine. He's got her out of the city. He's got her to Cuba. She's safe there. Nobody will be coming near her. But it is interesting when he goes back and you find out actually he had told Homelander about it and Homelander is the one that said to him, you need to clean this up. 
You need yeah. to take, you need to take her out. So I, I kind of like that the direction came from Homelander. He may not have made the decision all on his own to kill her, but the direction came from Homelander that said, you need to clean this up completely and have no loose ends here. Well, I think you see a certain element of regret and grief in, in A Train mm-hmm. until it gets to the point where he's looking at that footage from the, the camera, Teddy. Well, where yeah. you see, um, the, 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 the poor landlord being meloned again, mm-hmm. yeah. melonballed, and, um, you have, uh, and this is where they see, uh, Frenchie's face. And this is ultimately what draws in Trevor, uh, from crime analytics where there's just an array of hairdos going on the screen <laughs> for, for Frenchie. Yeah. Um, and like he's what they say something like he's got over 20 different aliases yeah. and, and, uh, address known addresses and all this kind of thing. And again, we, we've not really seen an awful lot of Cherie, but you know, I think you said as well, Derek, mm-hmm. without Cherie, what would Frenchie do? Because, um, she ultimately is the one that warns him that. Yeah. He's been burnt. He's been found out because they've been able to trace back to where she's located. And Mm -hmm. if they've got that one, they've got everyone else. And so I I like that. Uh, And even just down to the fact that, you know, the director uh, and showrunners in this series, you know, just down to the fact that that could have just been a real simple shot with Cherie. But then they just show her sort of breaking up the mobile phone Mm -hmm. in the alley, crushing it underfoot as well. And it's kind of like... Yeah, that, that just adds, you kind of go, she's a, she's a clever cookie. Absolutely. Um, and even though she's not on screen for that long, they make her smarts on screen yeah. for the short period she has. And I like that. Absolutely. There's a lot to unpack there for me. First is Frenchie's, uh, hairstyles. Mm-hmm. I so loved in my head. It was basically, <laughs> that's it. The, the actor's headshots. <laughs> that they just grabbed all his headshots and went quickly. We need you in like 20 different styles. Uh, some of the headshots are just crazy out there ones. Yeah. And some of them were just like, yeah, it's an actor's headshot just to say. I hope they did it. I hope it wasn't actually done in CGI and they didn't just stick wigs on the face of the, of the actor because <laughs> there are some hilarious ones. I, I, I wish there was other photographs of him with the, uh, with the flock of seagulls hairstyle on his head as well. Really good, really good fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So where do we start with this? So on A Train, yes, I, I was actually going to, if you hadn't have called it out, I was going to call you out that dirt. Don't worry, man. Uh, I know you always will mm-hmm. call out your own bits, but no, for me, that was, I, I knew it's just, I, every part of my fiber hates A-Train. It's not, you, there's nothing really that you can feel sorry about for him. Mm-hmm. So like with the, the deep, the deep seems kind of in over his head. We're given some elements of him. He's just a complete douche. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually other parts of him, he just seems out of his league. Doesn't like, he's just not a hundred percent there. Um, so they, they, they're trying to at least humanize him with the, uh, the elements of last episode with the, the dolphin mm. and the, the, the therapist. But A Train, A Train is just, I know it's done at the orders of Homelander. Mm-hmm. Um, but killing Popclaw in the way that he did it is just, yeah, no, I, 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 I for now and I just want to see A Train gone. Uh, I want Butcher, or in this case, probably Huey, to end that man. Right. Um, or show him the, the boys, the, the true boys. Moving into where they, they start tracking, uh, Frenchie and the female. Uh-huh. Um, 
that that scene with Black Noir, as you said, doing the kind of running and jumping, and he is a bit like Daredevil, mm-hmm. and it, it's cool, but it's interesting to see his fight style versus what we've seen from the female in that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you said, like it's it's very. I don't know what's the best way of putting it. Almost military esque. Okay. With those knives. It's just very calm, composed. So it'd be interesting to see what, what, what they're going to do mm-hmm. with the character of Black Noir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the next one. Yeah. I really want to see more of this character. Definitely. Um, two quick things for me on this, on this scene. As I said, it was going to be one of my points. Uh, I do like that A Train trying to get over his murder of Pop Claw means that he popped in Terminal Beauty 3 starring Billy Zane and Pop Claw. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually Billy Zane. As he walks in, I'm like, who's that bald guy? I recognize him. Oh, you mean the main protagonist in Titanic other than the iceberg? Wow. <laughs> that's, that's cool. So a nice little, uh, nice little cameo there from Billy Zane. Um, also have to call out just two scenes in this show, both scenes have already been talked about, have to call out the CGI work in this episode. Um, when the baby's being used to cut the guys in half, and as you yeah. see from the back, you see the guy's heart still beating as it's cut in half by the lasers. Amazing CGI work. And also, as you see the female um, pulling herself back together and, and stepping, getting back up effectively, turn, coming back alive, being resurrected. Uh, I, I was talking about it and saying, when you used to see this type of stuff, people repairing themselves on TV shows like Smallville or any show that has somebody's able to repair themselves, like Wolverine does it often in, in the Marvel movies. Um, it used to be like, you know, small cuts on the hands that you'd see. In this case, you see organs stitching yeah. themselves back together yeah, inside really her is. body, the blood flowing back around and her skin coming back together again. Brilliant CGI work. Must have taken an extra couple of months just to get it right. And it really stands to showing how interesting a power it is, I suppose. So, um, so yeah, great job from the CGI team. So something I'll actually put out, and we I, I think you're right. I, I, I want to call it, we should call it out. Up to this point, the use and the construction and the, the, the showing of the powers has not been cheesy. Mm-hmm. So, like, even with A-Train buzzing in and buzzing out, yeah. like, it's not just like they do, and I'm not, this is me not taking a pop at the CW with the Flash, but they don't always kind of show him using his powers. So what they'll do is to get him into a scene, yeah. they'll just have a, a gust of... um from a an air cannon with some papers mm-hmm. to show that he's just sped into the room. Absolutely. And what they're actually doing on this is showing him speed in. Yeah. Um. So it's yeah. I, obviously, they've got the Amazon money um, because <laughs> and they and they don't thing. have to do it five seasons, twenty two episodes a season as well. It's a very short season. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly that too. Really so good. I mean, not having a pop, but I'm just yeah. it's it's really good. So even with when Homelander is flying across the crowd. Mm-hmm. That's just an amazing, and it wasn't even special effects. That's not, that's just a man in a wire. Absolutely. Uh, but it looked fantastically real. Well, speaking of which, that's my antagonist moment for the episode is America needs a little John Wayne. It is the speech from Homelander because I think it is very interesting. You know, he does have that conversation with, uh, with Madeline at the pediatrician that we talked about where he effectively tells her, I'm not reading these notes again. And she's trying to tell him just to stick to the script. She's not there for one day. Can he not just stick to the script for once, basically? Yeah. But as I said, the show decides to take this twist effectively politicizing this religious event, uh, turning it into politics, effectively saying, you know, you have this speech from him going, um, 
people don't trust Washington anymore or the coastal elite. They hate foreigners and they need some frontier justice, just like John Wayne used to deliver. You know, he completely ignores her approach and turns this plane crash into a terrorist incident. He says, we are under attack as Americans. It was one plane in international waters. He doesn't actually know any reason behind it. He doesn't know whether it was any kind of attack on America at all, but he's turned it into a terrorist attack on America. The whole reason he was able to be involved was because it was in international waters and it wasn't over America. Uh, That's how Madeleine got the two of them involved in it. Uh, And then says effectively that he's got these powers given to him by God to protect the United States of America. You know, again, politicizing religion. It's nothing to do with America at all, whether God gave him the powers or not, which we know he didn't. He's been grown in a test tube. (laughs) Um, It wasn't to protect America. It should be to protect the entire planet, right? That's That would be, you would expect, the intention of God. But by him politicizing this, he has suddenly turned this whole crowd in front of him into his feverish followers, people that are willing to give him the power to walk into somewhere in a foreign nation and kill them without sign off from the government, which is he, which is he's saying to them, he doesn't feel he needs to because he's got these powers, you know, again, so childish and so obsessed with himself. So pushing himself to the front, feeling like he doesn't need any kind of restraints from the government at all because he's got the power to do whatever he wants to basically. So I thought it was a really interesting choice. Um, to have him doing this and then again to be placated later on by mommy madeline in uh, having his head in her lap is just a really interesting choice i don't know how long this is going to last does it work you know she's effectively saying to him the speech that you made today makes you sound like a bad man this means the army's going to turn on you if you start saying to them or the government's going to start turning on you if you say you don't need their oversight you can't look like a bad man even you have to look like a good guy well it's up the rhetoric hasn't it it Mm -hmm. is almost like he's done a donald trump um on homelander in the sense that He's up the rhetoric on it. Mm. Uh, and as you say, it, it's about him and him being the protector of the USA, not the US military yeah. uh, and, and the, the US president. So it, it's really up the ante. And I think it is. It's something that that's come through again from uh, Madeleine Stilwell is like, you know, you cannot come across as being a bad person. Yeah. You have to be pure. It's not just about being good. It's about being pure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that untainted innocence about him, which is this really good play on Superman and, and the comparison to him. I mean, even to the point where he floats across um, the the crowd the at the crowd. Believe Expo. It yeah. is that moment in the Superman films where... Uh, Henry Cavill, you know, comes out of the, out of space and with the sun behind him does the crucifix image. So mm-hmm. it, it's all that link to this, um, guy that's supposedly, you know, fallen to earth, um, from a divine heavenly, uh, place. So I, I really like that because it, it takes it to a different level. It's not just about being ethical or moral or good. It's also about being pure, uh, pure of thought. It, it, it takes it to a different level, uh, to almost to a different standard of, of goodness that has to be maintained by Homelander, which we've seen he ain't. <laughs> so it's just really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must say, I, I thought his speech was uh, excellent, just going off script and upping the ante, because for him, it's probably... This will get vote into the defense department. You know, we get the people putting the pressure on so that ultimately we're part of the U.S. defense team. 
So I, I really like this. Yeah. Uh, not much more I can, I can say about the speech that the two of you guys haven't covered. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's just where it goes from here. Um, essentially he, he's done his speech and then still uh, says that he's going to have to, he's still going to have to backpedal. Um, so where that leaves us mm-hmm. coming into episode six is an interesting. Uh, piece. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, on to our other outstanding moments. Uh, Chris, what's yours? So, for me, this is um, basically a, a bit of a, a hard one to talk about, because we're not sure where this is going. And the first one is, Butcher goes, when he disappears from Belief Expo, he actually ends up going to Becca's sister's house, mm-hmm. and confronts her which we don't understand why he, 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 he basically, first of all, comes in. I didn't know who she was mm-hmm. until we start seeing a small, it zooms in on a photo of Becca, who we've only seen once today yeah. in the, the CCTV and this other girl. So we're okay. Maybe best friend. We don't know. And it comes about through the conversation and Butcher being quite mean, um, that they've actually, put a gravestone up in the graveyard for Becca, yeah. who's been missing for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've buried nothing, but they put up a gravestone for her. Um, and we get this back and forth, which is Becca's mother wanted somewhere to go to, to grieve for her daughter. Mm-hmm. Butcher's saying she's not dead. Uh, and then Becca's sister, who we've yet to be named, is pushing back going, no, no, no. No, she's dead or gone. Either way, she's gone. Yeah. Uh, and that then leads to Butcher going a bit, um, swingy, swingy with a big, <laughs> yeah. a, a big sledgehammer. Yeah. Don't worry. It's not a hate crime. <laughs> I love as he calls that out to the guy who's in the graveyard. Don't worry. It's not a hate crime. I'm smashing this, this stone up. Um, just a quick touch here that I, I was had in my notes as well. Uh, the death day that's on Becca's tombstone is the exact same day that's in the security footage that we saw Butcher watch uh, on the TV in episode four. Um, so effectively the last day that he saw her as she stands up in the park and walks off screen, uh, that's the last footage he ever has of Becca. Uh, that's the day that the family mark as her, as the day she died effectively. So, uh, so what he was doing in that scene in the last episode was trying to work out, is there anything that he could see in that scene that would have told her where she's gone or who took her or what's happened to her effectively? So it's an interesting tie between the, those two things that it's the 24th of January 2012 is when the video footage is taken and that's the date they have on the tombstone as well. So there's a particular th- thread in the comic books that come out very, very close to the end of the series. Like we're talking issue 60-ish, I think, oh, 50 right. something. So it's deep into the comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very good. And I'm kind of hoping they'll go with this in here, which is what makes, and I'm not going to give anything away. It's just basically a thread of what makes Butcher Butcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about, we've always talked about these flashback episodes. Yeah. Um, so we got a bit of a flashback scene. So far this season, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if we get a bit more to kind of show Butcher and Becca and what potentially could have happened, mm. or if they're going to save that for season two. I'm hoping they'll kind of at least 
give us a, a sense of it in season one. Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. I'd say I, I, I thought it was really good having this uh, scene where he goes to his sister-in-law's um, house uh, because, um, yeah, you know, we, we saw the video footage last time. You got the sense that, you know, someone was missing from his life. Are they still alive or not? Well, it seems like he still thinks that they could be, but the rest of the family hasn't. And I think the tension between him and Becca's sister were, was really nicely done here. You mm-hmm. know, um, one blood family, the other married into the family in a sense. And just this idea that we have to do something, even if she may still be alive or we find the remains. It's that they have said now at this stage, they have to put that kind of full stop at yeah. the end of it. And hence the headstone, which he's totally against. And um yeah, the whole sledgehammer meets uh, granite uh, headstone is is just like um you know that's his outward expression you can't tell them how much that offends him so i hope they keep this plotting over not so that we necessarily find something out in this series now that we know a series 2 it could be something you know whatever this revelation in in uh, issue 60 that could come out that maybe it's something for season uh, 2 of of the boys in the end it it, it the timing of it is better but who knows mm. uh, but i'm really glad they've visited this present anguish that he has over something that happened so long ago mm-hmm. and with his in-laws effectively and um, so i thought this was really cool yeah yeah i yeah, no, really good to see that stuff um john do you have any anything else on your outstanding moments well i had baby blasters but mm-hmm. i suppose the other thing just the the connection that frenchy and the female have um you know it, it builds up it, it, it's still not un, until she saves him mm-hmm. from black noir and effectively gives her life for him yeah um that's when you realize that that monologuing of Frenchies to her has finally sunk in. And I, I really like this um, because, yeah, they're, they're two very intriguing characters. Frenchie because he won't shut up and um, the female because she's this um, silent uh, mystery. Yeah. That who, who is she? We're still, still not entirely sure. I'm wondering if the backstory that we know about her uh, will get sort of padded out a bit more in yeah. the same way that Frenchie has been doing that padding out of his own backstory through her story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I hope she speaks as well, um, because really? I think that must be really difficult for an actress or actor to um, just do the silent. Yeah, thing. absolutely. Absolutely. My God, that food looked amazing. Uh, you can tell yeah. Fren- the French are known for their cuisine. Frenchie's a great cook. I love that he talks about how he cooks the food as well. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, but yeah, you do kind of get the sense that she does understand every word he says. You haven't heard her speak anything and you've only seen her watch K-pop on TV. So stuff in Korean, stuff not in, in, in the English language effectively. So, um, so you don't know whether she understands English, but you get the sense that she understands everything the French she's said to her, whether it's by intonation or by any other means. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if you, if we get to know much more about her. Um, for me, the only other outstanding moment that I want to talk about kind of passed me by a little bit the first time I watched the episode, but Queen Maeve and her ex, Alana, where she pops over to, to visit, uh, with this, this woman that, that lives in an apartment, um, used to have a cat and Maeve asks about the cat who's been dead for two years. So you can tell their relationship had fell apart a couple of years ago. But I really like this conversation that they have where, um, 
Elena's telling Maeve she can't just pop over to her house without calling in advance, you know. Um, she may have broken up with her, but she sees Maeve every single day on television. So, uh, yeah. so it's easier for Maeve to get over Elena than it is for Elena to get over Maeve because she sees her every day. So I suppose what really stood out to me about this is it tells you that Maeve is in exactly the same position that Annie could have been getting herself into if Annie hadn't made her stand here. Um, it tells you that Maeve Definitely. never made a stand. She got into the, into the seven. Potentially Madeline set her up with Homelander. They had a relationship and then they bro- they were able to be broken apart by the PR within that company effectively. But Maeve was in a relationship with Elena. Um, that, that is the person she was living with at the time. And then she walked out the door and ended off in the seven and in the relationship with the Homelander. She had some, uh, some issues with alcohol in the past as well. Um, which she's now given, now is drinking again effectively as we, as we hear from Elena. So it feels like, she didn't take the path that Annie has taken to stand up for herself and stand up for her rights. And that's where we saw that in the first episode, why she was so, I suppose, almost jealous of Annie having the issues that she was having, because when Queen Maeve had those issues, nobody was there to support her at all. And she just chose to go down the path of ignoring it and just doing whatever they told her to do. And now she's realizing how bad things have gotten, I suppose. So I thought it was a really good scene, really powerful as she breaks down on the ground and Alina realizes, hang on a second, she's not here for anything other than a little bit of support that I, that I can give her. And she's trying to help her out. And then she walks out the door uh, without sharing the actual details of why she's there. But I think it's a really powerful scene. Yeah, it, it is. It's a massively powerful moment. Effectively, you know, two of the heroines in The Seven are being contrasted, you know, compared mm-hmm. and contrasted here. And it's not just that you've got the post-Flight 37 struggle that Maeve's going through with what's happened there with the death of all these passengers, um, but it's also the post-joining the Seven struggles that she has. You know, we've, we've seen it hinted at um, about her relationship with Homelander yeah. and, and his want to come back but effectively she has given up her identity for that place yeah. in the seven for that pr identity uh, in the seven mm-hmm. uh, to some extent and it's all just come to a head post flight 37 and despite making that choice it's her old girlfriend that she um feels comfortable with going to even though that is a tough choice to make Mm -hmm. and you have that reaction from elena to her so i I think this is really really um what makes this series stand out is is the willingness to really uh put these differences uh right there up front and, and really make those struggles that each are going through and how differently people can react to those same pressures and here you have the classic point of you see how annie is responding to that that pressure yeah um and you see now retrospectively um through mave's discussion with elena how she reacted to those same pressures yeah and that people can be in very different spaces um despite having the the, the same choices in front of them. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really, really good. It's just like fab writing. Absolutely. And how difficult that must have been for Queen Maeve standing at the memorial for the people that died in that plane crash and hearing Homelander quite obviously having no problem at all reading out the names of all of those people that effectively he killed and she killed by leaving them behind on the plane, didn't save even one person. And he's just reading the names out like there's no problem at all. Um, I just think it's really interesting to see the effect this is having on her. 
there's a really nice moment actually where Madeline goes, she kind of does an ironic laugh because Homelander says, I, I saved the Flight 37 mm. uh, incident. And she's just like, do you know how ironic that and, and yeah. obscene that, that sounds yeah. that you saved something that you actually created. You, you killed however many people. Yeah. Uh, you saved the situation for Vought. Exactly. Uh, you really, saved the situation, not the people. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really a brutal kind of way of thinking about it. Cool. Well, I think on to um, our notes. Anyone got any notes? Uh, I did have that note, obviously, about the death day of Becca being the same uh, on the security footage and the, and the gravestone. Just one other note that I just thought was really interesting. In the background, when Huey and Annie are having that conversation at, uh, at the festival, the Believe Festival, uh, you see some toys laid out. I love in the background, there's about 60 toys in the background behind in the conversation that Huey's having with Annie uh, at Believe Festival. One statue of Jesus and 59 different types of statues of Ezekiel, just showing you how powerful his brand is, I suppose, at this event. Um, but really interestingly, the, uh, the plushy toys, the toys of Ezekiel that are there seem to be based on Stretch Armstrong, um, a popular to- kid's toy for, for many years now, but it looks exactly like him with just the clothes of, uh, okay, yeah. of Ezekiel on. So he's a stretchy guy, just like Stretch Armstrong. So I like, I like that they use that as their basis. I don't think we'll be able to see that in shops unless they do a deal with the people who made Stretch Armstrong because yeah. it looks exactly the same. So. Yeah, no, Ezekiel played um, a pretty interesting part in, in this episode mm-hmm. as well. Throwing um, his arms around the world. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, he one big hug, um, mm-hmm. although you just don't know where that would lead to Absolutely. Um, after he's done it. Um, so, Chris, your corner is coming up. Yes, welcome to Chris's Corner, the podcast within a podcast, where this episode I'm going to talk about none other than Ezekiel. So, because essentially, yeah, he's a made-for-TV character, um, which is interesting, because I, I was pretty sure he was uh, essentially a character from the comic books, but he seems to be a bit of a mix of um, kind of two. One, which was a, a stretchy character, and then the second is the actual main character of O-Father. Okay. <laughs> um, so, O-Father no, not our father. Oh, father, uh, which is brilliant. Um, oh, father is the, is essentially Ezekiel. He's the same, uh, character who runs Belief Fest. Um, that's where we meet him for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, father is enhanced powers of flight and enhanced strength. Um, but I, I can understand why they probably didn't decide to use him. Um, so oh, father is this African American soup. Um, but it's constantly referred to that he's a serial pedophile. Oh, right. Um, he's in, he's first introduced in issue 45. And, uh, essentially when we get, we, when we're brought to Belief Festival for the first time, we see Oh Father and Annie and, um, basically Homelander there and talking away. And, uh, essentially there's, uh, there's a secret meeting between Homelander and uh, Oh Father, um, but some of the, the the reasons I don't think they wanted to include it is uh, Oh Father leads a group of um, he he leads his own supergroup called the the Sidekicks Twelve, mm-hmm. which is a reference to the Twelve Apostles. I don't want to get too much into it because he does towards the end of the comic books um, he. Um, he he gets his comeuppance, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but he seems to be the basis of this character of Ezekiel, uh, in that he's the main Capes for Christ, uh, kind of believe expo. He's the main Christian superhero. Yeah. Um, and he's been doing these horrible, horrible things similar to Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, uh, he's the face and he constantly goes out and preaches about God, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, so that is the basis of Ezekiel. Welcome to Chris's Corner. If you have any other, uh, pieces that you want information on and how they differ from the comic books or just overall, uh, just questions, yeah. don't forget to write into Chris's Corner at, I don't know, just, Usual ways. <laughs> <laughs> Feedback at tvpodcastindustry.com, Chris. There you go. Yes. That's the best way. I am so glad they've decided to, to change up that character from uh, from the comic books. Probably a bit early in uh, in the show to go that far, I think, uh, in, in these yeah. episodes to have uh, the character as he is hiding his personal life and telling everybody not to be like him is enough to show you how bad the character of Ezekiel yeah, is. And I suppose the support that he gets from Homelander also shows you something bad about Homelander as well. The fact that he's willing to just completely ignore what Ezekiel's really like and support him in his in his uh, in his presentation of this group to everybody just kind of shows you the dark side of homelander in its own way as well so yeah oh one thing i will call out the poster where we see homelander flying and it says fly straight um and it's the uh, the anti-homosexuality christian poster Mm -hmm. at believe that's actually a comic book cover from the hero gasm um comic book uh arc um which is really really one of the best arcs but it's again tied back to oh father and ezekiel or oh father slash ezekiel having the tendencies and then preaching something else right interesting interesting good stuff so with that the end of chris's corner i think is about time we wrap up this episode what do you think boys uh so kick it off john what did you think of the boys season one episode five good for the soul uh, I, I really like this. Um, I'd give this four jazzy gigs out of five. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, um, seeing the development of what Compound V is used for, um, and the ramifications of the boys having learnt about this for, for Popclaw and for A Train. Um, I agree. A Train is an absolute massive nightmare. Um, and really has no spine, but, um, it's really good to see just how bad this character is persists through the, this series. Um, I really enjoyed Believe Expo and just how that worked into the story, both in terms of finding out about Compound V through Ezekiel and the hospital and getting, uh, babies with laser beams, uh, <laughs> all great. Uh, but also I think, one of the big or two of the big moments here was both the um the relationship between Starlight and Huey uh, and the two of them kind of being honest with one another uh for the first time and i think that change in that dynamic where maybe Huey has a bit more explaining to do now to probably Starlight than uh, she does to him you know he is still using her mm-hmm. for the good of the boys um and then we have Maeve and that contrast with Starlight uh, in terms of the choices she made when 
presumably she entered into the seven as Queen Maeve and how very different a path she has gone down uh, compared to what we're seeing now with Starlight. I think it was, was really good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Jack-Jack baby, effectively fantastic. Uh-huh. I loved um the the baby being used as a weapon yeah. by by Billy Butcher and um yeah just Frenchie and the female hopefully now she gets really fully incorporated into the boys and she does become one of the Spice Girls so mm-hmm. uh, I I can't I can't wait for that so I Resurrection Spice is that uh, a Spice she could be yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah I, I really enjoyed this this episode excellent uh, I remember seeing just that little gif of the baby being with its with its laser eyes uh, put out by the Amazon video team the Amazon prime team and they were saying you know producers of the boys go to mother going can we just use your baby for a second and then cut to this baby gif of, uh, of lasers <laughs> coming out of its eyes you know how did the casting process work for that Perhaps, yeah definitely <laughs> chris what did you think of episode five good for the soul again i'm, I'm just loving this series as a whole um they're able to take what was the source material and Keep twisting it up and giving it a bit more freshness, um, if you will, um, for the, the TV show. Uh, so I should say it's adapted well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm each episode I'm sitting there kind of going, I think I know what's going to, nope, I did not know what was going to happen. <laughs> um, the, there's the thing and I, I'm glad I, I was able to get that. Yeah. Because otherwise it, I, I, I suppose if I hadn't known every story beat of what was coming up, and how they would play it, I would probably be kind of less interested. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've taken the premise. They've taken what makes the boys the boys. And they just kind of tele-adapted, if you want to call it that. Uh, or what was cine-adapted, screen-adapted. I don't know whatever the official terminology is. <laughs> but they've done it in such a way that I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Completely loving this episode and this season and looking forward to see the next three episodes. Good stuff. Derek, what's your thoughts on this episode, episode five of The Boys? Yeah, really good. Um, the one thing weirdly, the first time I saw it, I was kind of going, Oh, not that trope again. Another Christian organization who's hiding all the things that they actually hate and they're a hateful group. That's the first time I saw it. And then the second time I was going, actually, I love how they've explored this. I love that it's not actually about a Christian organization that's hiding stuff. It's about politicizing religion. Um, and why that shouldn't be done. And I love that it ends off with our major character, the person that we're viewing this through, the two major characters, actually, Huey and, uh, and Annie, both admitting well, we believe in God, we still do, but we're not going to go through the prism of what these people are trying to to politicize it and cr- create a hateful image for the people that are in this group. That's not going to be us anymore. We're going to come up with this concept effectively that people don't know exactly how lives are going to go. So why pay them money to tell you what they don't know themselves? You know, I think that's a really interesting premise and different way to take it in the show. So that was really good. I uh, loved the experience of seeing of seeing Maeve and what she went through to go th- through the life she's gotten. And that was really interesting stuff. Um, and I love seeing a bit more of Billy Butcher and, and the things that he's gone through to make him into the person that he's become now. Sure, we're going to see a lot more of that and, and why he leads this group and why he absolutely hates soups as much as he does, because that seems like something we haven't really explored at all. You can kind of guess what 
might have happened, but it feels like he has a very definitive reason why soups are the ones he's going after and why he hates them all. You know, he even says, when he says to Frenchie, leave the female behind, he says, I don't care about soups on soup battle. I don't care whether they kill her or not. She's a soup just like anybody else. So, um, so I'm intrigued to see much more about why he is like he is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but a really good episode overall. Uh, really looking forward to episode six and only three more to go. Yeah, that's going to be sad. That's all of our thoughts on episode five. On to our feedback section, Frenchie's Letters. So we've received some uh, feedback through our voicemail over on tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, remember, you can head on over and click on the right-hand tab uh, for 90 seconds of voicemail. Uh, yes, we've got some in through from Steve Brown about episode five. Hello, TV Podcast Industries. This is Steve, and this is for episode five of The Boys. I'm not sure exactly what episode you're on right now. So this will be for episode five. And uh, because I just finished watching it and realized that you guys were podcasting on it. So I am uh, I have the first two episodes I think you've done downloaded. So uh, this one, uh, <laughs> this show, I just really love the show just overall. It's so irreverent and uh, so just showing the horrible side of superheroes and uh, it's it kind of it disappoints me in a way that none of the other superheroes besides starlight are you know any kind of i guess they're just regular people but i want some of them to be honorable and and good you know not just douchebags but it just seems like they all are and uh made having to hide who she is and it just uh, anyway, um, episode five, I loved the scene with the baby. We, we knew that was coming because it was in the previews, obviously, but, uh, it was just, uh, just amazing. Starlight, uh, coming out and just saying what she did, um, was, uh, just, uh, uh, horrible at the same time, but great. I loved, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Huey, the only one clapping in the audience and nobody even looked at him. Like I really, would have expected some of the extras or somebody to turn around and kind of give him a look, but nobody did. He just, he's clapping and they're all just kind of, hmm. so, um, anyway, I love the big reveal at the end that, uh, the girl has healing powers and, uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought. And, uh, once you catch up uh, to me, I'm going to uh, probably delay watching. I started watching episode six cause it, it went automatically to it. But I stopped it partway through because I kind of want to wait and uh, let you guys catch up to me and then I'll catch up. Then uh, Anyway, so uh, talk to you later. Thanks so much for that, Steve. I love this. I love I love listeners who are going to stop and pause for a couple of weeks for us to catch up with them on uh, on how they're how they're watching the episodes of the show. Really sorry, Steve. I know Steve listens to a bunch of other podcasts that do this on streaming shows and has to stop watching to, for everybody to catch up with him. You don't have to. If you want to just record your thoughts about episode six, seven and eight and send them into us, you're more than welcome as well. Yeah, and yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, people can drop, uh, voicemails or send in comments, uh, about any episode, anytime. That is certainly, uh, not a problem. Uh, yeah, I also love just how great and I suppose irreverent the show is. I, I think that's the point. I mm-hmm. think it, it really does kind of, uh, you know, blast wide open those doors around, uh, the superhero genre, uh, in a really interesting way. Uh, and one that I think, you know, also reflects back, uh, onto, 
different aspects in, in society as well. Um, obviously, apart from maybe laser beam babies, but that was a really <laughs> cool, um, really cool uh, aspect here. And it's interesting. I wonder if anyone else from the seven will step up, you know, in his own way, maybe the deep tried to by trying to save Flipper, uh, but that backfired terribly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I wonder if Queen Maeve is the only one that may think about doing a 180 degree about turn here, given what happened with the flight 37 and her going to her, her former uh, girlfriend. Um, I, I wonder if there's something that may happen there or ultimately, uh, will she be thinking she's in too deep, uh, you know, far too deep into everything that's gone on. And, and maybe that's the issue for all of the members of the seven and mm-hmm. all of the soups is that it is about, superheroes it's also about corporate power as yeah. well and that they are within the power structures of fort uh international mm-hmm. so uh, yeah really uh be interesting to see how that that plays out yeah thanks steve yeah um and i'll actually comment on steve exactly where you found it strange that um qb was the only one clapping i found that weird too that no one even looks at him. Yeah. Like, you'd expect if he was the only one clapping in real life, someone would go, uh, what? Like, stop that uh, or something. Stop yeah. that. Yeah. Or someone, then he starts to slow clap and then everyone starts to slow clap. It's one of those, <laughs> but you get that. the, you get, you get this sense that it was basically the directors and producers were like, now to have extras, no one look at him yeah. when he's clapping. You know, once you all stare forward. And it was just, everyone took it a bit too seriously. I th- yeah, I think what they're supposed to be saying is that everybody's in such shock at, at her standing up for all these things that they've been effectively told all day. This is the way you're supposed to believe. And she's standing up going, actually, this this speech I'm giving to you is written in front of me. I don't believe any of these words. I've never read any of these words before right now. And everybody in the audience is going, we paid 170 quid <laughs> for each ticket for this event, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just one other thing on, on what Steve was saying, I do wonder if the reason they're called the seven and they only have seven members constantly, you know, we have talked about Lamplighter no longer being a member and we think that's because of, of the fact that he killed people in the past. You wonder if part of the criteria of people that are kind of escalated to the level of the seven, not just the normal 20,000 superheroes that are across the country, the actual seven, if there's some basic criteria that they believe that they have to go with what Homelander is and the fact that they are douchebags is because that's what they were chosen to be they were chosen because they have that kind of side to them effectively and starlight seems to be the first one that's chosen for the seven that's actually massively innocent effectively didn't believe that these people were doing these bad things they're doing everybody else went along with it i suppose is is what i kind of question or does absolute power corrupt Corrupt. absolutely Absolutely. exactly it could be that could be that that. is that that's the bit i always love about the the boys as a comic book one of the reasons i enjoyed reading it for years Mm -hmm. Um, was that whole theory around with great power comes great responsibility. Well, actually, in real life, sometimes with absolute power comes absolute corruption. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, it's not just that the, the, you have the yin and the yang. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not saying, like, they'll probably slowly introduce some of these are other characters in the universe of the boys mm-hmm. um, who are not all bad. Yeah. It's just the majority. Because the majority are celebrity. It's the same version of celebrities. Not all celebrities. Look at Ryan Reynolds. He's a good guy. But then for every Ryan, every Ryan Reynolds, there could be 10 Justin Bieber's. 
<laughs> What's wrong with Justin Bieber? <laughs> oh, come on. I'll leave that to everyone's imagination about why I think, what I think about Justin Bieber. Um, but anyway, so I, I think that they'll explore that more in season two. I think. <laughs> yes, I think we should explore more um, about uh, Justin Bieber at some point. Thanks so much for that voicemail, Steve. Yeah, on to our next bit of feedback. Bob Phillips has some feedback on this episode. He says, oh my word, what an episode. So much being unpacked and teased and tensions drawing out. I can't fall to a single best moment, so I have to give the top two of each. Best seven moment, Maeve breaking down and kissing her ex in an off-the-wagon drunken fall into a previous life. Starlight coming clean on stage about the falsehoods of purity and certainty. The same urge driving both, but the saviour of Des Moines managing to make good in her actions. Interesting, yeah, there's some really good really good moments in that episode. Yes, I, th- I think uh, as well, Starlight and her coming clean, I feel, was really, really good, mm-hmm. along with the enthusiastic single clapping from Huey. Absolutely. Dr. Bob continues with his best boys moment. Was it the improvised blackmail from Huey? Quite impressive in his imagination of Mr. Elastic's hidden powers or the tenderness of Lenana in freeing the female against the express wish of Butcher. Yeah, both of those great moments of the episode. (laughs) Absolutely. Didn't see any pineapples, though. <laughs> I'm guessing that's Frenchy, right? Because <laughs> he's of the one course. that did feed the feed the free bell. Yeah. So. Dr. Bob says his best other moment. Well, I would have said the baby laser gun and the surprise look the production team placed on the doll's face. But then the end really had me with the death of the female. Resurrection is her special skill as well. Yeah, excellent moment. That baby, I think I've seen the gif of the baby with its eyes a uh, hundred times since we talked about that episode. And it's still fantastic. Love it. Yeah, you can't beat a baby laser gun. I, 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 all I want for Christmas time is a baby laser gun. Yeah, it should be standard military issue. <laughs> uh, finally, Dr. Bob says, and Chris's quarter question, does Starlight of the comics have the Christian evangelical revivalist background, or is that just a TV show? Uh, very quickly here, yes, she does. Um, I'm not sure about the revivalist aspect, but she is in uh, the Christian evangelical Christian groups um, as she grew up and as we hear in the show uh, in the comic books as she grew up she was part of that Christian soups movement mm-hmm. she helped take people take the purity pledge um, even though she wasn't pure herself mm-hmm. um, so it was a big thing and as we learn her backstory we learn that that did have a big aspect in her life um, but uh, we yeah so the answer is for Chris's Corner, yes. Excellent, excellent. Thanks so much for your feedback, Dr. Bob. Yeah, thank you so much, Bob. Cheers, Bob. So thanks, everyone, for uh, the feedback. Um, yes, remember, you can go and uh, listen, subscribe, rate us, leave a review on all things uh, to do with the boys over on tvpodcastindustries.com. You can head on over there and subscribe to uh, the podcast. We're also on email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. We're now on Facebook as well with facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tvpodcastindustries and Twitter at tvpodindustries. Yes, so please head on over for all your thoughts, comments, and discussion points around the boys' season one so far. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week with episode six, The Innocents, next Wednesday. But who will be innocent?
and who will be back? <laughs> Tune in. Same bat time. Sorry, same boys time, same boys channel. But if you are interested in Batman and you are interested in the world of the DC comic books, we are also covering Pennyworth on Mondays. We're covering uh, new episodes each week uh, of Pennyworth, which is airing at the moment on Epics HD and loads of other places in the US. Uh, and hopefully we'll, you'll be interested in listening to that. It's been a really interesting series so far. Uh, make sure you check that out. Yes, it's a little risque as well, a bit mm-hmm. like The Boys. Yeah, um, not as risque as The Boys, but no, absolutely. similar. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much, boys and girls, for listening in. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, I'm off to do a bit of blackmail, actually. Uh, it's weird, slightly scary, and you wind up saying really weird stuff. <laughs> um, but after that, we'll be back to speak with you again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.